Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Fellow Americans. He's been sick. And I think his wife is going to bring him some chicken soup. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. Buckaroo holiday. unafraid to ask, hey, what gives? Well, who knows? Who really knows what gives? What I just gave you was Bunky and Jake with Hey Buckaroo. Buckaroo. Bunky and Jake singing just for you, Buckaroo. Buck, 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 Buckaroo. I'll talk more about Bunky and Jake later on. Remind me, won't you, Buckaroo? been a little while. You remember me, I'm Sport Murphy. 
Your host on Buckaroo Holiday hasn't been that long, has it? Of course not. Buckaroo. Long enough for my psyche to deteriorate ever further. To the point where I can't really trust what I'm hearing. I'll give you an example. Do you remember Atlanta Rhythm Section? Of course you do, imaginary lover. So smooth. So Into You, that was a big chart topper. Did you ever listen to it? In it, they sing the following lyric. When you walked into the room, there was doo-doo in the bags. I'm serious, listen. Simply incredible. I'm Kathy Lee Crosby. I'm John Davidson. I'm Fran Tarkin. What's more, Emmy Lou Harris sings a lyric on her song, Boulder to Birmingham. And you better pause this here if there's kids in the room. I will rub my asshole in the bosom of Abraham. Listen. But I fought my way up to the sun Had a lot of battles Some I lost and some I won But let me tell you, girl You ain't seen nothing yet There's nothing in this
from my sister-in-law. Yikes! They happen to be perfectly pitched to play those notes from the song you just heard. The tune The Old Cow Died On, sung there by Deb Flanders from an album called The Female Highwayman. That's about 10 years old or so, that album. The song itself goes way, way back. It was uh, an old fiddle tune. And um, there's a book called Everybody's Doing It. It's a pretty good book. It ain't great, but it's pretty good. It's subtitled uh, Sex, Music, and Dance in New York, 1840 to 1917, by an author named 
Dale Cockrell. He refers to that song here when writing about a place, uh, a den of iniquity called Madame B's Arcade at 564 Broadway. I'll read it here. At the back of the hall was a raised platform holding an asthmatic pianoforte on which a shabbily dressed musician thumped, pausing occasionally to call for his glass to be refilled. He played the tune The Old Cow Died On, a song perhaps of Irish origin, and repeated it so often that the reporter wondered if that was the only music he knew. Amorous intrigues, fueled by drink, swirled throughout, and a room at the rear of the hall was observed to accommodate couples the lady often veiled, for Madame B's also apparently provided rooms for trysting. Ever been in such a place? I sure have. But anyway, most of the versions of that song that you find are um, straight-up fiddle tunes and pretty indistinguishable from a lot of the other fiddle-type tunes that you hear. That version surprised me. There's some sweetness to it that I really like. Maybe it's corny, but you know how I feel about that. So that's that, and the first tune was the exciting Garnett Mims with As Long As I Have You, sung by Jerry Ragavoy, who uh, paid my music the greatest compliment it ever received. But I'm not going to get into that because it would be self-serving. Now I know I've been away a while. Did you miss the show? I did. It's been kind of tough. But here we are. And I'm going to try to make up for lost time with some interesting stuff today. One of the things you'll be hearing throughout the show is a series of examples of, uh, yeah, I guess you could call it ephemera. I like to collect ephemera of all types and certainly audio, as you've heard from listening to these shows. So I'm going to uh, include a bunch of little logos, electronic corporate and product logos created a long time ago by the electronics pioneer Suzanne Ciani, or is it Ciani? Not sure. It seems in that field, possibly because of its obscurity, women artists, composers, engineers didn't face the resistance that they did in other forms of endeavor. But you can go down the list. There's just Delia Derbyshire, um, Daphne Oram. Yeah, it goes on and on, actually. And um, Suzanne Ciani, Ciani, certainly figures in prominently among those other pioneers of electronic music. So keep a lookout for those. I'll be back in a bit. Columbia TV logo. i 
私ではないのだ。マリアンは本当にいたのか。マリアンは。
ことも知っているマリアン愛すことも知っているマリアン私はマリアンヌになりたい私も行こう「いつまでもいつまでもマリアン」「いつまでもいつまでもマリアン」
Before that little logo by our friend Suzanne, we heard Year in Song by Mary Margaret O'Hara, the elusive sister of Catherine O'Hara, comedic genius who first came to our attention through SCTV, the greatest show, I mean, timeless, brilliant show. And of course, the O'Hara sisters are from Toronto, so this will be today's Canadian content. An upcoming show might just feature an all-Canadian purview, but in the meantime, Mary Margaret O'Hara, a um, not exactly prolific, but uh, pretty original singer-songwriter. Year in Song is from her album, Miss America, and I do. Before that, it was Marianne by Goo, which is a, uh, speak about elusive, I don't know anything to tell you about this. It was a single uh, from Japan, 1970. That was one side of it. Marianne, G-U, Gu. Pretty, I think. Goes on a bit, but it's pretty. And at top, Showing Shadows by R. Stevie Moore from Phonography. I know Stevie, and uh, that album, Phonography, was my introduction to his work, and along with a lot of other people, when it was championed by Trouser Press back in the late 70s. I'm sure you know about R. Stevie Moore, so I'm not going to get into it, but he was the uh, guru, the, the Abraham Lincoln, the, the Moses the, uh, of home recording. Still very much active and as prolific as ever. Now, I don't want to blab too much here because I want to get the music in, you know, you know how it is. But it has been some weeks and there's been a few things I want to mention. I had uh, Underwood Deviled Ham for the first time in my life. I'm not going to say it was great, I'm not going to say it was awful, but I had Underwood Deviled Ham for the first time in my life, and that's notable. What a weird package it is, too. It's this little tin can with this meat in it, and this paper wrapped around it, kind of like the Angostura Bitters. One of those classic packaging design things that uh, just never changed, so I, I like it. I, uh, I, I think... Anyway, like most of us, I got my stimmy, my stimulus check... The new administration, the Rice Clean administration, saw to it that we all got the stimmies, and oh boy, oh boy, was I happy. I decided to uh, spend a little of it on frivolity and went to the Kino Lorber website. It's a company that makes v VD. No, they don't make VD. 
<laughs> they make DVDs. And um, just was idly searching through there to see if there were any interesting titles. And I found not one, not two, but three Holy Grails. I'm not kidding you. There are things that I've been looking for for many decades. And I'll cover them really quickly. Okay, the first Grail. The Wanderers. Great, great movie. One of my favorite movies. Directed by Philip Kaufman. Based on a book by Richard Price. And I think it came out... Oh, when was it? Maybe 1979 or so? Anyway, I saw it with my friends and left the theater. I turned to them and said, that was a masterpiece. I don't think everybody was persuaded, but it became a cult item to us. And we watched it uh, when it was broadcast on HBO and stuff and on videotape. We got really into it. It spoke to us and kind of like the anti-American graffiti in a way. It, I was shocked to watch it again to see how brutal it was. It's a dark, dark movie. Funny as hell as well, but the thing was that when we saw it in the theater, there were scenes that I remembered that I've never seen again. It turned out what we saw was a preview cut and those edits that were made by the time it got re-released and by the time it made it to videotape and cable TV, it was a different movie in a lot of subtle ways. And here it is, the uncut version. And uh, that was, you know, my God, finally. You know, this, so there's that. And, uh, well, all right. You know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to the music. I'll tell you about the other ones along the way. But I've gotta tell you, if you've never seen The Wanderers, do yourself a favor and watch it. Don't confuse it with The Warriors. It's another film about gangs, but it's completely different smoke. And uh, it's still it's still a masterpiece. It holds up. I like I think I like it even more now than I did then. Trust me.
George, George, George of the jungle, strong as he can be. Watch out for that tree. George, George, George of the jungle lives a life that's free. Watch out for that tree. When he gets in the street, he makes his escape with the help of his friend, and he, they, they. Then away he'll schlep on his elephant ship while fella and Ursula stay in step. George of the jungle, friend to you and me. Watch out for that tree. Watch out for that tree. George, George, George of the jungle, friend to you and me. Corporate Enhanced Logo.
Atari video games. Thank you, Suzanne. Before that, Stavely Makepeace. You're talking out of your head. That was released in 1978. And Stavely Makepeace, I mentioned R. Stevie Moore before, home recording legend. Well, these guys were also home recording enthusiasts. They were uh, big Joe Meek fans. Have you ever played anything by Joe Meek? I must have. Anyway, that was Rob Woodward and Nigel Fletcher. And they recorded a whole bunch of really unusual records through the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 2000s as Stavely Makepeace and as Lieutenant Pigeon. And the Lieutenant Pigeon stuff is even stranger than the Stavely Makepeace stuff. And actually hit the charts uh, over there, the song called Moldy Old Doe, which I may play at some point. Before Stavely, you heard Almond Tree by Cal Tejeter, which was a to-jumpin' piece of to-jazz from a 1963 album several shades of Tejade. George of the Jungle, the theme from Jay Ward's Saturday morning cartoon from the late 60s. And I believe that theme was written by Stan Worth. And speaking of cartoons, Jack Sheldon, who was a trumpet player and he was in the band, he might have even been the band leader, I'm not sure, on the Merv Griffin show. Did a lot of cartoon voices, notably the um, Schoolhouse Rock series. And he also sang the song you heard there, which was written by John Cassavetes and Bo Harwood for the movie Love Streams. Apparently when they were shooting the movie, Cassavetes was using the song I Can't Get Started by Bunny Berrigan. And would have put it in the movie, but uh, there was some kind of a rights issue somehow. And so he said to Bo Harwood, well, let's just write one just like that. And that's what they did. I played something from Love Streams before. I bought these tracks right off of Bo Harwood. He sells them online, all these scores and pieces from scores that he did for Cassavetti's movies. And it was great to get a hold of this music and also to send some money Bo Harwood's way because uh, his work was just fantastic. And you know how I feel about John Cassavetti's, for God's sake. So that one, Love Streams itself, is. Uh, if not my favorite movie, certainly one of the top five. I just love that picture. Which brings me to my second Holy Grail. I was talking about the DVDs before. Uh, Cassavetes was influenced by Morris Engel and Ruth Orkin, who were photographers who took up film direction in the 1950s and shot three movies. The first one of which was uh, hugely influential. Little Fugitive, about a kid who thinks he's killed his brother and roams around Coney Island thinking that the cops are after him. It's a sweet little picture, not much of a plot to it, but uh, so natural. Shot with handheld cameras, really influenced Truffaut and Godard and um, Cassavetes, of course. Anyway, I've had that film and the two follow-up pictures, which were also great. Lovers and Lollipops and Weddings and Babies. And I've been searching for a film that they did, or at least Morris Engel did, I don't know if Ruth Orkin worked on it, in the late 60s, called I Need a Ride to California. Far as I know, never screened, never seen, certainly never distributed. Lo and behold, this DVD set includes that one, as well as a bunch of short films by them and a bunch of short films about them by their children. So that there was my second of three Holy Grails. If you get a chance to see Little Fugitive, please do. And in just a minute, I'm gonna discuss another film, sort of, with a special guest. Hey, Pumpkin, what's up? Black and Decker logo. 
right, so as promised, my guest is here. It is my son, Miles. Hello. Hey, it's Miles. me again. Hi there. So I guess before we get to what we're doing here, I had told my listeners uh, about your recent surgery. Okay. And uh, we want to assure everybody that you're okay, assuming you are. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. How you doing? Uh, uh, I had to do a nosedive down the stairs to get here. Oh, no. <laughs> Normally, I can walk down the stairs to make it to the podcast, but can't do that. So it was a, uh, it was a, it was a perilous maneuver. Yeah, he's really... Uh He's really making light of it because he's, uh, he's a badass, but he's got uh, two casts that, that he's got on his legs for several weeks now, and more to come, unfortunately. But the surgery went well, right? Yeah. And uh, we should be fine, but it is a major pain in the ass for you. Yeah, it is. And uh, he's hasn't been able to play his drum kit, hasn't been able to play his bike, which kind of sucks. I play my play, bike? Play his bike, yeah. Well, Frank Zappa used to play his bike. What do you mean? He uh, used to. He took it on the Steve Allen show, and he like used a bow on the spokes <laughs> and hit it with a stick. <laughs> it was. He did a whole concert with his bike. Pulls That's solo. weird. Well, it's Frank Zappa. That's true. If anyone and can do this, Frank Zappa. Anyway, you haven't been able to drum or ride your bike or you know get around with any ease. So it, or even uh, work anymore in the shop at all. Right. No going to school. No working on cars. It's. Uh, it's a drag, so uh, you're, hold, you're holding up well. I give you a lot of credit, but it can't be easy. Eh, I'll manage. One of the things we've been doing while we've been laid up uh, is kind of what we've been doing since the uh, lockdown, uh, is trying to amuse ourselves by, what, <laughs> by any means necessary. Well, that included, as I've mentioned on shows before, watching Doctor Who, and um, a little of this, a little of that, and we've been watching some movies. The other day we caught The Wanderers. I... The uh, the preview version of The Wanderers that you were very adamant we watched <laughs> instead of the other version, and I agree it was better. Yeah, it's a longer version with things they cut out uh, from the... Theatrical release. Yeah. And um, so, so and among the other things that we've enjoyed is uh, this thing we're going to talk about today. It's, it's called Over the Garden Wall, and you turned me on to it. Yes. Uh, Tell me about it. So, over the, it's a cartoon miniseries that Cartoon Network ran, I don't even know how many years ago now, at least five years since it came out, but they did it during uh, October, you know, Halloween, uh, and it was a short miniseries, you can finish it, the whole thing, in like two, three hours, um, and ever since then, ever since I was turned on yeah, to it the first time... The segments are like time, 15 minutes or so, usually, right? Yeah, the yeah. 15 minute long episodes, 10 episodes, mm -hmm. so uh, you can finish it pretty quickly. It's like a movie, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, I was turned on to it by a friend of mine in middle school, and pretty much every October since then, I've watched it along with, you know, the October Halloween celebrations. A few years ago, I turned my dad onto it, and he really liked it and we watched it again this past October and enjoyed it even more. Yeah. yeah what knocks me out about it is uh, it, it touches on a lot of the things I've been fixated on for a long time. Like the uh, you mentioned Halloween there's all these uh, classic Halloween decoration type design in it. These pumpkin head monsters and things like that. Just graphically it touches on a lot of this great old weird American stuff that I enjoy so much. Old book illustrations and old uh, Funny Animals comics and Harrison Cady illustrations and things like that. And um, the music also is this sort of eclectic American nostalgia trip. There are all sorts of styles touched upon. I noticed everything from the Mills Brothers 
to um, Stephen Foster, jug band music, string quartet stuff, um, Salvation Army band stuff, football marching band music. Yeah. I mean, you name it. And by the way, you're hearing some of it behind us now. I'm using the bed music of the show to be the bed music for this segment, too, eh? Yep. One of the things that makes this show um, so rewatchable is that every episode, the story is different. It, 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 they're told pretty much the same way through the same characters, the, the same interactions, but the stories themselves are all different. Different, like, like you'll have traditional American folk tales mm-hmm. and modern cartoon-type stories um, and, and um, tons of things in between. That's right, yeah. It's, it's what you call a picaresque, I guess, which is one of these, like, the goes back to like the Pilgrim's Progress, which is a character is traveling and gets into all sorts of misadventures. And it's in very distinct episodes. And what they did in this one is use those episodes to evoke very specific kind of story themes and design themes. And it gets around, but it remains consistent in a weird way, too. So Yeah, uh, yeah. it's very well crafted. If you haven't seen it before, I highly recommend doing yourself a favor and picking it up. It's like... The, a Blu-ray of the whole show is like 20 bucks. It's it's a great watch. Yeah, and it's about these two brothers wander off into the woods, right? And they're, Yes, uh, into the unknown. And they're trying to find their way back home. Yes. That's basically it. And then their misadventures, which are many and varied. And there are a number of songs along the way. And by the way, there's a lot of people that are pretty well-known voicing these characters in the show. John Cleese appears in it. Shirley Jones. Um, Elijah Wood, yeah, who I met one time. <laughs> a little bit of a dick, but not, not too bad. <laughs> Don't let him hear you saying that. He'll throw a hissy fit. He'll get you taken off the air. <laughs> oh, and and uh, I wanted to mention Jack Jones, who I've played on Buckaroo Holiday before. Uh, one of the great, uh, I think, uh, middle-of-the-road crooners. What are we going to hear first? Um, first is Pottsfield CM from one of the earliest episodes in the show, and the one that made um, my dad here immediately fall in love with it. He saw it and he said, I liked this show before now, but now I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the design is, is just gorgeous. It's that Halloween type of thing, these pumpkin head characters who have this strange town where they have uh, and, wicker man type ceremonies. And, and not horror, but creepy. Right, yeah, a kind of benign creepiness. And this song uh, draws on shape note music, which is this uh, method of singing that was based on a book called The Sacred Harp. And southern congregations would sing this stuff. They would do this do, re, so, fi, you know, before they would sing the lyrics. And this uh, evokes that. So- Thank you. 
Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, very festival music type vibe. And it just has a real authenticity to it. These people really did their homework. The Blasting Company. Yeah, is that the name of the? Uh, that's band? the name of the. That's the name of the uh, group that worked on. I don't know if it's a, if it's a full band. The only work of theirs I've actually heard is over the Garden Walls uh, OST, but uh, they mm-hmm. they really knocked it out of the park. I don't know if like all the voices in it were worked on, it, or if it was just like one dude who hired a bunch of guys. I should have looked that up uh, before we did this because I'm. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll refresh our listeners on them about this when we uh, yeah. once I'm gone because you don't want me well, to learn anything you want to be smarter than me maybe we'll do a follow up we'll do an over the garden <laughs> wall 2 um, study if we don't uh, become too boring with but this but there one. isn't a second version of the show they only did it once dad we'll do different things from the same show oh <laughs> but uh, yeah it's just they really delved into these American styles with a uh, with a real respect mm-hmm. and, and really caught the vibe of a lot of that, that creepy Americana. Uh, just beautifully, beautifully done. And okay, what's next? Over the Garden Wall. It's a uh, song that's sung on a ferry by Jack Jones. And he's, uh, he's voicing a frog character. Right? Yes, he's yeah. voicing a frog named... Uh, I think the frog's name is either Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, and they're on a riverboat. Yes. Uh, it's just, you know, Americana, you know, deluxe on this thing. And so, yeah, Jack Jones, who you can hear at this point, has uh, definitely gone on in years. He's, he's uh, not the golden-throated youth that he once was, but I've always been a big fan of his, and I think his work here is very touching. He's also the narrator of the show. Right, right. I caught him on an interview not long ago, talking about this experience, mm. on an interview where they were kind of a retrospective of his whole career and he seems to have been really delighted to have been involved in this production i guess not just for the work which you know when you're when you're an old performer like that i guess any kind of anything where they're hiring you for your talents and not your name exactly exactly okay so over the garden wall it's jack jones a mirror and the moon rides the waves to the shore a single soul sets his voice singing content to be slightly forlorn a song rises over the lilies sweeps high to clear over the reeds and over the bulrushes sway at a pair of heartstrings Two voices, now they are singing Then ten, as the melody soars Round the shimmering pond All are joining in song As it carries their reverie on And mountains over the blackened ravines. Then softly it falls by a house near a stream and over the garden wall to the end. 
so sweet and you were just telling me about that's a little more complete than the version in the show yeah right where he says carries their reveries on it, it, he doesn't get to say on because there's a uh, there's like a dramatic moment that happens right after mm. he says reveries and then uh, the song continues after that little uh, instrumental bit right so it's nice to hear uh, the full uh, version yeah yeah absolutely so yeah, Jack Jones. I, I just I just love hearing him here. For me, there's something really moving about him uh, singing these songs on this thing. Yeah. He has the perfect voice for it. He does. So anyway, now this is a d whole different mood. Well, you set up for the, the scene here where this takes place. There's a scene where uh, the two main characters, um, uh, the two brothers, they uh, wind they on their travels. They wind up coming across a old schoolhouse, and they come in, and it's a schoolhouse for animals. And they come in, and they sit through a lesson, and the teacher. Is is very sad she's lost her beloved recently and she sings a song about that while still trying to keep it educational and have a lesson go through it yeah miss langtree's lament a is for the apple that he gave to me but i found a worm inside b is for the lover that i called to him before he left my side and c See what he did, that's D Did it to poor old me How could I be such an emotional fool If G is for the gentleman I thought he was When he first said hi, H-I J is for the joker, that is Jimmy B The man who made me cry, that's a C And K well, you know it's just not okay To kiss and then run away Leaving alone without leaving a letter for Langtree M is for the misery left me in Never to return again Oh, what a poor people I've been Queuing in line for him and our are you the one for me? Yes, say you'll come back to me. Why are you tempted to tease me? Oh, you, why not you have got to understand the value of a woman's heart? V, why, W, not why, did you think it was fine to X me from the start? And why, yes, why is the question that's on my mind? Oh, why, why did you leave me right before reaching our scene? Oh, one is the number of men I've loved, and two is the times I'll say it's you, it's you. Three is the number of days you've been gone, but it feels like four times two. At the hour the sun goes down I remember life with you around I wish I had nine lives like that one oh. Yeah, very nice. That was sung by Janet Klein who apparently does this kind of thing uh, as a performance style. She does this kind of uh, throwback mm. crooning 30s 
sort of style and you can you can hear in that that she's a student of that because all these little these little um, things in her yeah. voice that uh, are very authentic to that style but that's sweet yeah it, it it exudes charm yeah i remember playing in a car in a car on a road trip once and that's was mom's opinion of it that it's a very charming song yeah yeah there are so many great songs in this thing i'd like to play more of them but uh, maybe we'll uh, revisit it like we said before yes part two yeah i think so it, it warrants it it's maybe really we'll do that stuff. one in hawaii Hawaii. Oh, yeah, sure. Hawaii. We can, we can do a special on Hawaii. I'm, I'm absolutely on down Hawaii for that. Hawaii part two. I think it's nice because it breaks it up. People don't have to listen to my bullshit all the time. You know, just <laughs> me yamming, yamming, yamming every week, you know, talking about... In fact, I've heard a rumor that uh, the girls are, are going to actually do this. Uh, you know, my daughter Lily uh, didn't want to do this. I was trying to get her to join us, just like Miles has been so gracious to uh, <laughs> help us out on the show. And Lily was a little mic shy. But I think uh, she and Adriana are uh, going to do an upcoming show. That's nice. So I'm very excited about that. I think I can already guess one of the songs they're going to do. <laughs> what? Kangaroo Court. Um, maybe, maybe. Although, since I've played that already, I might want to go in a different direction. Just something that they specialize in. Yeah. So uh, we'll... Adriana is the one that turned us on to that song. Yep. She's the one that told us about it. Also, on the very first show we did, we had... Um, um, Honeybee? Yeah, Honeybee by uh, Steam Powered Giraffe, which was another Adriana discovery. Yeah. So it'll be fun to have the girls on here yeah. uh, doing, doing their thing. But um, I'm always delighted to have you join me on the show. We've uh, Thank you. We've got quite a following for this little segment here. People are always asking me when Miles is coming back. <laughs> so they do. They really do. And so what are we going to hear now? We'll probably close it out with this one, which I think is... is this the, It's not the last song in the show so much, but it's like a... Uh, it's used partially as the intro and partially as the outro of the whole show. So uh, each episode? Did? Each episode has an instrumental version of this song in the intro okay. and the outro. Um, and then pieced together, they make a full song. Another great show that did something similar to that was uh, Steven Universe, another cartoon. Mm -hmm. uh, over the course of the show's run, they had an outro theme um, that was, you know, a nice instrumental thing, and it would be short because the credits of the show were short, and every season it changed, and then after a while, in like season three, um, at, the, at the emotional climax of the show, they pieced them all together and they added lyrics, yeah. and it was a, it was like a, uh, it was like a jazz waltz that was really okay. good. Well, well, that sounds like something we might hit at some point. Although I'm reluctant to touch on Steven Universe because they've been doing some pretty uh, silly-ass woke stuff lately. I stopped watching it years ago. Yeah, they, they've been running a campaign now that I find really repugnant. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we can talk about the old days, you know. The we, good old times. Yeah, me, remember Steven Universe? Oh, those were the days. All right. Well. Sure, we, we, we condoned racism, <laughs> and we were better for it. <laughs> and what's the name of this one? Uh, this one is Into the Unknown. Into the Unknown. Uh, Jack Jones again, right? Yes. Yeah. Led through the mist By the milk light of moon All that was lost Is revealed Our long bygone burdens Mere echoes of the spring But where have we come And where shall we end 
If dreams can't come true, then why not pretend? How the gentle wind beckons through the leaves as autumn colors fall. Dancing in a swirl of golden memories, the loveliest lies of all. Part of the thing that makes this show's soundtrack so good is that you can really tell the people working on it deeply cared about the outcome. They weren't just doing mm-hmm. it because it was a job, because no, they got no. hired for it. Like, the performance of that song, you could tell Jack Jones was really into making that song good. So moving. Yeah. The uh, the whole thing of it, the loveliest lies of all at the end of that, it puts a twist on things that I don't quite know how to put my finger on. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it, it adds a kind of a shadow mm-hmm. to the whole thing that uh, I find powerful and uh, really yes. evolving. Yes, and the, the the sort of the the rawness. It, we're used to hearing Jack Jones singing like the Love Boat theme and lollipops and roses and uh, you know, hey little girl. So to hear him now, older, older this, and very soulful in, in, in that wavery kind of broken yes. thing. It's so so felt, so heartfelt, and so mm-hmm. touching. It reminds me of uh, of how uh, much how it, it, the way that kind of makes you feel kind of reminds me of a uh, surf's up. Sure. Yeah, a lot of wow. the a lot of the very heartfelt meaning of it. That's true, and it has that des- sense of desolation too. Yes. Th- despite all the beautiful melodic throwback yes. kind of stuff, that's a really good point. I get that too. Now that you mention it, that's a great observation. I, I hadn't put that together before. With the loveliest lies of all at the end of that last song, it it really um it, it really does do well to put a twist on it and give it a, uh, a, a the whole thing a new meaning because the other Jack Jones song, he, the traveler is content to be forlorn. Yeah, as long as he's continuing his travels mm-hmm. and and doing what he's doing, and he's and even though he's homesick and not living his life exactly as he would see fit, he's enjoying himself. And I I feel like uh, the loveliest lies of all kind of translates to that. Like he's trying to convince himself that he's he's having fun and he's content with things as they are so as not to go insane in his own head i feel like that's wow that could be read into like that yeah. i don't know i'm just bullshitting i guess but no no there's an undercurrent <laughs> of that you know there, there's a real dark edge to the whole thing it's, it's yeah. sweet and and funny and all but there's there is that that real melancholy underneath it all. the story and, of and the threat yeah the story of the show which i won't spo- i'm not going to spoil the ending here because anyone listening to this Go watch the show. This is not me saying you should do yourself a favor. This is me saying you need to go do it. I'm, I, there's a gun pointed at the microphone. <laughs> It'll come out your headphones into your ears. You heard him. Don't mess around. Yeah, so go watch it. I'm not going to spoil it, but the the show really, uh, despite its loveliness, it does have a dark tone to it. it there's, And I feel like you can have wonderful things with dark tones and still have them be lovely. Which I feel is uh, is the message of uh, some of the lines in both of those songs. Absolutely, yeah. 
to uh, the contrast of light and shadow. To be able to capture the fact that people live their lives and and still suffer despite thinking they're happy and despite being happy, not pretending they're happy, but mm-hmm. being content, um, I feel is uh, is a very hard thing to portray in any form of art. Yeah. And so whenever it is is portrayed well, I think it's it's incredible and worthy of attention. Absolutely, yeah. So, by the way, so what did you think of The Wanderers? I thought it was good. Yeah, any, any reflections on that? Um, that... Because I, I think the listeners should go see The, the Wanderers. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty good. There's a sense of community, but a bleak sense of community in that. Yeah, I forgot how bleak it was, really. Yeah. yeah. And I also, we, we loved it so much when I was a kid, I didn't realize until I was watching it how many catchphrases... Like we've been using ever since then, you know, <laughs> all my life. Oh, down the decades, I've been saying, "Don't fuck with the Wongs, leave the kid alone." Looks like we gotta get short of twine. <laughs> <laughs> you shit heel, you dirty rotten shit heel, and on and on. It's like it's unbelievable. This 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 film supplied my vocabulary. <laughs> so, uh, I think I think stuff like over the garden wall, you're gonna find yourself quoting when you're an old man too. It's kind of mm-hmm. remarkable. What I, I do quote it all the time. Yeah. Uh, I was sometimes, you know, when I sometimes go, ain't that just the way? <laughs> That's from Over the Garden Wall. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you, do your friends, do you, have you turned your friends on to it? Um, all my friends pretty much have already seen it. Yeah. So I want to thank you for introducing me to this film because uh, we watch a lot of things together. We're big fans of Adventure Time. Yeah. A lot of animation that we really enjoyed. SpongeBob yeah. even, you know. Yeah. I, I've, cartoons have always been one of my favorite things, just animation in general. Yeah. My whole life, I uh, watch a lot of it. Uh, Yellow so. Submarine. And, yeah, Yellow Submarine's so the good. Point. <laughs> I, we didn't rewatch The Point. I haven't watched it since I was so little. Uh, we rewatched yeah. Yellow Submarine somewhat recently, and I yeah. enjoyed that. But yeah, there's so much great animation that's happened yeah. throughout history and still happening now. Yeah, it's always great to discover something new that really sits alongside the classic stuff because there's no equivalent in film. I don't think there are no Buster Keaton's working now but these people show that there are people who are the equivalent of the Fleischer brothers which is uh, pretty remarkable mm. that, that such things exist anymore yeah it, it's it's one of the last forms of television or movies to be fully corrupted by consumerism yeah yeah it attracts some very uh, imaginative and creative talent a lot of these uh, people that are involved in animation are really the most talented people we have working right now in, mm-hmm. in show business, I think. Because it requires so much more effort even than, you know, regular acting. Because you have, you have, it, it's, it's, there's like a, in my opinion, there's a tier list of effort in art forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and animation involves so many forms of art. Um, mm-hmm. It involves traditional art, you know, drawings, right. um, painting. It involves acting in the form of voice acting. It involves mm-hmm. composition in its backing tracks, writing in its storytelling. Mm-hmm. Well, it has, it has all of that, and and I think that that really um, helps make it something that 
peoples that want to make stuff of extraordinarily high quality that attracts them to it. In the yeah. same way that video games do that, video games have a lot of uh, other forms of art sort of amalgamized into one, and yeah. I find a lot of the independent developers really make artful shit. I don't think I appreciated a lot of that before you started showing me a lot of the great stuff that you have in that world, because I'm not a gamer at all. Mm. But uh, there is a lot of really brilliant work being done there. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll wrap this section up. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I love you, buddy. Thank you for joining me. No problem. Uh, anytime. Love you, Dad, too. I guess would was probably crossed your mind, but. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks, pal. No problem. Time Magazine.
that Carolina Rice jingle. It's a real important thing to me. I've been looking for it forever, and I was really glad to finally find it. It used to be played incessantly on the radio and on TV, too. And if it has echoes of the antebellum South, I apologize for that. I truly, truly do. It's an ad for Rice. You know, I, I asked you to remind me to talk about Bunky and Jake, and you didn't, so I, I nearly forgot. Thing is... I'm looking at the stuff that I had planned for the rest of the show, and I'm not going to have time to do the thing I was going to do about Bunky and Jake. I'm going to do it on the next show instead. So remind me, okay? When I'm doing the next show, I want you to lean in, whisper into my ear, hey, psst, 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 Bunky and Jake. And I'll do that, because, uh, you know, they, I... So you heard Bird's Lament by my old pal Moondog. We've heard him before, but I don't think I played any of his symphonic stuff. And that particular piece, Bird's Lament, I've heard it on a TV commercial, uh, I forget for what, but a lot of that stuff has been turning up in recent years, and uh, it's about time because it's terrific stuff. 
And it always was. And I know you know what I played before that, right? Steely Dan. Throw back the little ones from an absolute miracle of an album called Katie Lied. I'm not going to apologize for Steely Dan anymore. I'm just going to keep playing them all the time because they were great. There was a little bit before that, an introduction, a piece by the Barquets. And that's a far cry from the Barquets' original sound. Soulfinger was their big hit. And they changed quite a bit because at least half the band, I think, was killed in some kind of a car accident or something, I think, right after their first album. But they regrouped, got some new people in there and kept going and had a bit of a resurgence during the disco years. But uh, that was an unusual little kind of electric piano piece that I find evocative. Top of that set was Chuck Senrick from a self-released album of lounge-type songs. The album's called Dreamin'. And it's nice stuff. I think Chuck's still working. He's still putting stuff out. And I think that album was re-released by one of these labels. I don't know whether it was uh, Numero Group or Light in the Attic or one of those labels. But it's one of those self-released things that occasionally bob to the surface of the music morass. What else? I want to thank Miles for joining me for that discussion we had before. I hope you enjoyed it. He'll be back, and I think Lily will be too. And after this dreamy little interlude that you're hearing behind me, I think I'm in the mood for something a little more aggressive. Charles Ives' old buddy Wallingford Rieger with an excerpt from Music for Brass Choir.
ABC Logo。Thank you, Suzanne. And before that, Valium Agaline with a song called "96." You heard them last time too. The last show I played a song there's called "Bird Wings." This is a little heavier than that, and、uh, just wanted to show that other side of what they do. I kind of dig that stuff. I don't know something about it. it sort of hits me the same place Sun O does, although not quite as extreme. You hear this fucking dog behind me? This little dog. I, I could just, I could. Anyway, sixty forty. As long as we're doing songs with numerical titles, by Nico. Before that, early eighties. I think she recorded that. Drama of Exile. What can you say about Nico? One of the all-time legends. And Wallingford Rieger at the top. Dark kind of set, yeah. Well, I think I'll play something lighter and sunnier and warmer while I go kill this dog. The Letterman. <laughs> The Letterman. This isn't even groovy square. It's just plain square. Our winter love. Oh, Mocha.
Well, what do you know? Another act from Canada, Syrinx, which was a trio, kind of an avant-garde, hippie type of trio, recorded a few albums in the 70s. That was called Hollywood Dream Trip from their first eponymous album. Thank you. I used used the word eponymous. Sooner or later, it had to happen. I don't think I've ever spoken that word before, but there it is. I said eponymous, and it was uh, their first eponymous album. Not only speaking of Canadians, but speaking of electronics innovators, they worked with Bob Moog very early on to create their sounds. And uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I like it. May hear more of them in the future. And of course, the Letterman, our winter love before that, which was originally instrumental by Bill Purcell, which is also beautiful. And I know that's a short set, but I wanted to, um, before we run out of time today, I wanted to get to a couple of things. One is the last of the Holy Grails I was talking about, right? So I mentioned The Wanderers, and I mentioned the Morris Engel and Ruth Orkin films. The third in this trifecta of Grails is Jack the Giant Killer. Now, this is a picture from, I think, 1962, and it stars Kerwin Matthews, who had played Sinbad in The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad a few years earlier, which was a huge hit. If you know that movie, it was animated by uh, Ray Harryhausen to these giant monsters in stop motion. Really amazing work. All of his stuff is just killer. So a rival producer wanted to have his own version of that, and Harryhausen didn't want to participate in it. So he got Jim Danforth, who was a protege of Harryhausen's, to do the stop motion monsters in the film Jack the Giant Killer, and got Kerwin Matthews to play the hero again. And it was the same type of a picture, you know, a fantasy adventure. Lots of uh, black magic and uh, weirdness and monsters and giants being slain. Apparently, when the film was released, the producers of the Harryhausen picture, maybe Ray himself, took umbrage at the similarities between Sinbad and Jack and brought some kind of suit. So there was some kind of wrangling for a little while, and it blunted the impact of the release. So the film didn't recoup what they wanted it to, and the producer was disgruntled and tried to figure out a way to do better with it. Now, it was fairly violent, and the uh, press at the time of its release noted that, that it wasn't really appropriate for kids, even though the theme of it invited kids. So they took out some of the violence and decided, well, kids, huh? It's got to be a musical. And they commissioned new songs to be overdubbed into the existing footage and edited it so it looked like the actors were singing these new crappy, incredibly crappy songs. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. So I tuned in one day, I think I was with Takoza, and we were watching TV and this comes on. I'm like, oh, cool, I haven't seen this in a long time. And suddenly these songs come up. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, it was unbelievable. My jaw dropped. Years later, I was doing a series of shows with my friend Erwin Chusid at a nightclub called Fez in New York City. Incorrect music videos. It was called the, you know, William Shatner singing Rocket Man type of stuff, you know. And I wanted to show the footage from Jack the Giant Killer, A and B it, you know, the dramatic scene of the original film, and then the same scene as a musical. But I couldn't find the musical. By that point, it had been withdrawn, and the original was re-released on tape. And I would constantly comb like eBay, trying to find a copy of the original VHS release that had the songs in it. Never did find it. So I wound up with like a dozen different VHS tapes of Jack the Giant Killer. Different cover art, same movie, the original. Somebody finally saw fit to put out a DVD with both versions. 
and uh, I haven't even watched it yet but um, if the songs are as shitty as I remember or if they're actually better than I remember or any <laughs> whatever the case is I may place some on the show maybe one or two maybe we'll do a little Jack the Giant Killer tutorial <laughs> but alright grill number three Firestone So I happen to notice something surprising to me. You know, I have all these songs that I put aside to like, keep them on deck for the show, you know? And I was going through them and I was thinking about what I was going to use on this show. And I had these three that were hanging around. And I realized all three of them were written by Tony Joe White. I call him the king of swamp rock. He wrote songs like uh, Polk Salad Annie that Elvis Presley did. I'm not a huge Tony Joe White fan. I never would have thought of him much, but I'm not against him either. You know, Tony Joe White, I never... Anyhow, I'm not going to play all three of them. I'll play two of them. I'll play uh, one Tony Joe White himself is playing harmonica on. It's an instrumental called Homemade Ice Cream. But before that, probably his best-known song, huge hit, sung by Brooke Benton, the guy who took it to the top of the charts. Listen to me. <laughs> this week on America's Top 40, we're going to tell you about a guy who... Hey, Brooke Benton, rainy night in Georgia. The 
a place in a boxcar So I take my guitar To pass some time Late at night It's hard to rest I hold your picture to my chest And I feel fine But it's a rainy night in Georgia Baby, it's a rainy night in Georgia I feel it's raining all over the world Kinda lonely that And it's raining all over the world Oh, have you ever been lonely, people? And you feel that it was raining all over this man's world You're talking about raining, 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 raining over the world I said now
falling through my heart into loving you flying or wingless wondering what to do asking the future for you fortune falling with my heart luck be trusted in time trusting the breeze to be mine hoping you'll be Running back to you I'm waiting for the sun Waiting, hoping you're the one I won't chase you if you run Part of the Wind from an amazing album Tim Harden one full of indelible songs that being one of them real shame about him he really went down the drain but um, wrote some beauties before that it was the Kronos Quartet doing a Bill Evans tune Waltz for Debbie with Jim Hall and Eddie Gomez guesting on that Kronos Quartet did a bunch of these tribute type of albums collaborative albums they um did one with Ron Carter that was all the music of Thelonious Monk and it's okay it's a little stiff for me it doesn't really feel like Monk this one works I think because it's more third stream and it seems to fit Bill Evans a little more uh, they also did one on Asha Bosley the uh, Bollywood star which is worth a listen but would you look at the clock oh my gosh we're past two hours already and that's that's gonna be that I'm not going to talk about a lot of the stuff I usually talk about because what's the difference? You know, I, I lost a member of the Patreon. I didn't realize they quit. I was actually going to um, write to these people and get their address to send them a souvenir because I like them. And then uh, I found out that they dropped it. So uh, I guess the souvenir will go to somebody else. It's, it's a shame. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why it happens. But for y'all, I'm going to try to get back in the groove with this thing, get more regular with it again with the shows. And I have these um, commission specials that are actually ready to go. I didn't want to put them out at the same time as this um, after a long absence and then just drop a bunch at once. So um, next week, I'll post one of the long-awaited 
commissions on the Patreon. And on we go. Atari Corporate Tag. Thank you, Suzanne, for all your logos this evening. And thank you all for listening to Buckaroo Holiday. See you next time. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. I'm, we're going to get a lot done. Is your name Joe? No. Are you Joe? This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle.